Hello and welcome to uh, the North Point podcast that's still unnamed. We're going to talk about some questions that are frequently asked. And we're going to wrestle through those and we're going to try to get a little bit of clarity, but not a lot of clarity because we don't know. Uh, uh, that's the kind of podcast we're doing. So, Conversations. <laughs> that's my intro. That's my intro. Uh, thank you for the name suggestions. We're still in search of a name <laughs> after the <laughs> suggestions. <laughs> so that's more suggestions are appreciated. We love it. Keep it coming. Sounds like some of those suggestions were already taken, yeah. so there'd be some copyright That's infringement issues. Yeah, we don't want to run into that. And then some, we're just not ready to go to yet. We're not there yet. Okay, yeah. good. Maybe good. the next podcast we start. Oh, that's right. Maybe. Uh, so last time we talked about the 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 big question of what is God, and multiple times throughout the podcast, we kept saying, you know, the next thing we got to do is we got to talk about the Bible. The Bible is so big for us as a church. We well, that's it's one of the big things we always say. If you come and visit on Second Sunday and talk to us then, if you talk to us in North Point 101, if you come on any Sunday, we're always reading from the Bible. The Bible is huge for us. It's a it's a major value for us. So we should probably talk about it. Um, so there's lots of questions that come up with that. There's questions of can we trust the Bible? Where does the Bible come from? What even is the Bible? So we're going to dive into all of those, um, which I think will be great. So I think it'd be good to start with what. What is the Bible when we're talking about that? So let's assume someone's listening to this. They have no idea what the Bible is. They're new to church, new to this whole church Christianity thing, and we always talk about the Bible. Yep. What does that even mean? What is the Bible? Oh, that was a good lull. <laughs> that was a good lull right there. Well, kids, uh, I'll jump in. I, you know, I'm not shy. Um, Bible is really, uh, we call it a book. It's not really a book. We, right. we say that because it's compiled into a book form, and, we just, and it's fine. That's fine. It's not a problem to think of it that way, but yeah. it's really a collection of 66 different types of literature, yep. um, 27 uh, on the second half of the Bible, the, we would call the New Testament, 33 on the uh, first half that we would call the Old Testament, yep. Old Testament pre-Jesus coming onto the planet. 39. 39? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. 33 okay. and 27 only equals 16. Look, this 16. is not a math podcast. <laughs> I got that wrong on a Sunday morning. Uh, too. And like heard the about slide it. and that's everything right, and heard about Shout it. Shout out so. to anybody that's done Bible Matters with me. That's on me. You know, so. you know what? Talk about Bible Matters just for a second. Oh, yeah. Well, um, so uh, we, we do run a, a, a class here called Bible Matters. It's great. Six weeks, and it really dives deeper into the stuff. The next one's starting in April. You'll see promo stuff for it coming out you know, before long. But a lot of the stuff that we'll probably get into the uh, on this podcast, we end up uh, digging into much more deeply. And it's helpful to know where the Bible comes from, how we got it, because there can be, uh, your question, lots of confidence in that. Mm -hmm. But we exist somewhat in a culture that loves to uh, tear down and, and deconstruct things. And so um, sometimes there's fear. But uh, So we spend three weeks talking about where it comes from and validity, and then we spend three weeks talking about how to use it, uh, personal life, counseling life, groups life. So, yeah. yeah. I, I would just say that the Bible is one, it, it is in a sense one book in, in terms of there is one theme, and it's about God's interaction with man mm. and God's plan to redeem man. Mm. So when it's, it starts at the beginning of creation and ultimately looks to eternity, but it's all about what it takes for God and his creation, us, to be in relationship with each other. So that's the common theme that's there. Uh, Chris had 66 books, um, different kinds of literature, and you need to read mm -hmm. um, each 
type of literature yep. recognizing that. Uh, yep. I, I've said before, we've talked about it in messages, you don't read the tax code the way that you read a novel. You don't read history the way that you read romance. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just helpful to recognize the different kinds of literature that there are yep. so that you know what you're reading through. Yeah. There's a beauty to that, uh, that that single story that spans multiple different types of literature. So there's there's historical narrative that right. is used, there's uh, law code that's used, there's poetry yeah. that's used, there's songs, but it still tells that same story. We're talking over 40 different authors, 1,500-year period of writing, encompassing thousands of years of history, um, I don't know, like 30 different countries, three continents. So it's a, it's a very vast expanse. So why in the world would anybody ever have trouble interpreting or figuring it out, right? (laughs) Come on. But the beauty is, amongst all that diversity, there is no significant uh, discrepancy that would prove, and that's just impossible. That's an impossibility if it was just some dudes who were like, hey, let's have some fun today, guys. All right, hold my beer. And then they came up with it. You know, it's just not possible. And and uh, there's the ability to recognize that when you read through the book, it's different than most books that you read cover to cover right. um, because it's not necessarily in chronological order mm-hmm. because it's written by so many different authors. However, there is some chronology to it that you can read through it and have a sense of chronology. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite stories was somebody here at North Point a few years ago that was just new to reading the Bible and was reading through the Gospels. Mm-hmm. So they had finished Matthew and they had just started to read Mark and said, I don't get this. It's <laughs> like telling some of the same stories over again. Yeah. Doesn't it just keep going with the same story? And, and he, he thought the Gospels were like the story of Jesus, part one, mm-hmm. story of Jesus, part two, yeah. part three, and part four, and that's the whole story of Jesus. Yep. And so just being able to have the conversation to say, no, 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 it's, it's four different perspectives, four different people telling the story of Jesus, yep. and they're going to highlight different kinds of things. So it, it just helps to know what you're reading and, yeah. and how to, what lens to read with. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. I think that's a great introductory overview to to even just help define terms and help explain things like why do we split things into an old mm-hmm. testament and a new testament if you're opening your bible for the first time and you're seeing things split up and you're seeing books like genesis and exodus and leviticus and you go to people's names and all these like everything's written very differently to have that understanding of it's meant to be this collection of a variety of works that all tell the same story. They all point back to God, which I think is really, really cool. So that's that's yeah. one of the things I wanted to talk about too. Is let me let me interrupt if I can. I'm gonna Please. I'm going to because uh, uh, I want to <laughs> shout out. Let me because I want to I want to <laughs> shout out that uh, Bible Matters is one thing that we have in terms of a class. The second half or the bookend to that, and it, it doesn't matter which you take one or the other, is called Bible Overview. We're three weeks into that right now, and that really talks about what you were talking about, Rick. That yeah. concept of scope, mm. yes, and in what order do the writings happen? So if you're going to want to read the Bible right. chronologically, you can do that, yeah. but not in the order that we see them typically in our Bible because they're they're put in for a different reason, more thematically grouped. But you can you can see yeah. it chronologically. So Bible overview uh, is a great place to sort of get a scope on that, a scope on the people. Yeah. Like, it, does Jesus or exist at the same time as David, as Abraham, right. as Mary, or not? Or yeah. So, anyways, that's a six yep. week class. You'll see more on that too. Sorry, had to. I want to no, throw that good. out there because we got some good good, good good tools to help. It, think it that feeds through. into what I, what I was going to next oh, was talking about how you know we've ta- we've established there's 66 books. They all thematically are very different. They're written very different. They're written by different, by over 40 different people. 
um, and they address different things, but the through line behind all of that mm-hmm. is that it, this is God's revelation of himself, how he interacts with us. The end, He reve- reveals himself, he reveals his plan, his goals, the things he's working toward, his desires. Um, so, it, I, you know, I can toss it to whoever, but I want to talk a little bit about how even when you're reading books like... Um, you know, you're reading through the story of Solomon or you're reading through the story of King David or you're reading through the story of Samson. Like, wh- even when God isn't really directly mentioned in all of that, you get glimpses of God in those stories and you get glimpses right. of who Jesus is in those stories, even by the absence of Jesus. So I kind of want to es- establish that too, that throughout the Bible, even when God isn't there, it's still about, like God is there even in his absence, which right. is really cool. So, like in Esther and Song of Solomon and all those yeah. ones, that it's like that's how. What in the world? This is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like Esther, God's not mentioned yep. one time, but you see him moving in the background. Song of Solomon is really its own thing <laughs> it's a, it's in there. So that's <laughs> a, its own separate. It's genre. got its own. <laughs> woo, yeah, right. It's a love poem. Sure, it's certain. Sure, it is. Sure. <laughs> um, so having all that established, I think the the question that skeptics would come to the question that uh, newcomers to Christianity would come to newcomers of the Bible would be okay we've established what the Bible is what the Bible is about why are churches so committed to the Bible can we tr- can we trust this document if it's if it's a collection of 66 books from all these different authors written over all this different time can we really trust what is said in the Bible and so I want to kind of go through a few things that are commonly brought up either by someone that's skeptical, someone that's a newcomer, logical questions that you would ask about the Bible. And uh, the reason I'm, I'm so passionate about it is because I had this moment when I was into my faith where no one had really explained to me where the Bible came from. Yeah. And I kind of had this like crisis of faith of like, oh my gosh, if that's how the Bible came to be, then I doubt it. <laughs> and thankfully, all of that was kind of put to rest. Um, and there's a lot of reason to trust the Bible. So spoiler alert yeah. for the conversation ahead. There's a lot of reason to trust the Bible. Before you jump in and ask the question in terms of the the veracity yeah. of Scripture, let, let me just say this. I think that um, it's important to recognize a conversation I have with people a lot of times is to say, okay, if you believe that there's a God and He's good, mm. um, if He's good, He has to, there has to be some level of interaction with Him and His creation, yep. i.e. us. Yep. And and so you've got to ask, how would he do that? If God is so much bigger than we are, how would God interact and relate to his creation? Well, there's only two ways. He would either tell us mm-hmm. who he is, who his nature is, what he cares about, what he values, all those things, or he would come down and live among us and demonstrate that. Yeah. And he did both. Yeah. Uh, Jesus coming to earth was God's communication to us in human form of who he is. Mm-hmm. But Scripture is it's it's telling the story. It's God saying, "This is this is what I care about. This is who I am. Yeah. This is how you interact with me." And that's why it's so important. Yeah. Now we can go to the yeah, can you well, trust think, it? Well, I think it's even you bring up a good point. That's even good. To, there's lots of reasons to trust the Bible. There's lots of science behind it. There's lots of documentation behind it. Those are all really great things. And above all of that is the supernatural power that God uses to preserve his word, Right. which I think is important to talk about that. When we say that the Bible is God's word, what does that mean <laughs> to someone that yeah. doesn't know what the Bible, like when we say that, when we read this, we are literally reading God's revelation of himself. This is God's inspired word. What does that mean for someone that has no, that they're a newcomer to the Bible? 
Go for it, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't talked much yet. Oh, man. I just want to get like the snide comment. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm here for. <laughs> Learn from you guys. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm so lost on the question. Uh, when, Bible, when someone says the Bible is God's word, what does that mean? Yeah. Uh, it's God's revelation, I think, as Rick already kind of hit on a little bit. It's God's revelation of who he is. Yeah. Um, and the beautiful part, uh, if I can step back, as we've talked about, it's been over 1,500, 2,000 years, all this time, all these different authors, all these kinds of things. Only God could do that, mm. right? Like, it would be so hard if somebody was to say, hey, Jake, tell your story of who you are. Yep. I'm going to write an autobiography. Yep. Actually, I'm going to pay somebody to write my biography because I'm not a writer in any capacity. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> but God is able to write his story through other people over this period of time, and it's not in a rush. Like, yep. I love how God has revealed himself right. through Scripture. <laughs> yep. Throughout taking his time. Taking his time. Like, yep. All the time, God is just so much slower than I want him to be <laughs> in everything. Yeah. Uh, and even how he reveals himself through scripture. And it's like he's not rushed because he doesn't have to prove himself. Right. Yeah. There's enough confidence in who God is that he doesn't have to do that. And yeah. it just is who he is. So and the word of God is how he reveals himself, is like, is like the once. That I think brings up a good question. So when we talk about God is inspiring someone to write, Again, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, put myself in the shoes yeah. of someone that doesn't know the truth. Right. Someone knows in the Bible. What is like? Is God possessing someone? So when it comes to the prophet Isaiah, uh, did God possess Isaiah and moved his hand to yeah. write all of the letters and all, all of the characters in his in his prophetic letter? Is that what happened with Isaiah? So, so uh, uh, I'm digging out Second uh, Timothy three sixteen is the place, a place that we would go, a clear place. Because one of the things that we look at when we talk about the validity of Scripture, how do we know we can trust it? Yeah. We do look at the internal evidence. We say, what does right. it say about itself? That is yep. not the only thing we look at. If that's the only thing you look at, that's called circular logic, and it's it's sketchy, and there's other religious systems that just have their own thing that proves right. their own thing because it said <laughs> its own thing. And yep. But you do need to know what it says about itself. So, you know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is breathed out by God, mm. right, and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. So this idea of Scripture being breathed out by God. So literally, what he wanted to communicate, mm. he breathed that out. I don't know how it all works because I'm not him, but he definitely uses the individual author's uh, personality and character. Yep. Uh, I would like to point out probably the most important part is sarcasm, mm -hmm. that God uses incredible sarcasm throughout Scripture. Yep. <laughs> um, but those through those different characters, and so yep. that's how we get these yeah. different uh, yep. feelings as we read different authors. So Paul reads very differently. Yep. Than Mark reads or right. than John reads because yeah. they're different guys. I, was gonna, right. I think that's the probably the clearest example of that being played out is the Gospels, yeah. where you have they're all telling the story of Jesus on Earth, and Matthew emphasizes some things, Mark emphasizes things differently, and Luke has his own writing method. John is like way off in left field writing the stuff that he emphasizes with it, but they're all telling the same story. And not just the story, but like like God claims about his the, the Bible claims about the Bible right. that this is this is God's breathed out right. what He wants to communicate. So it's yep. not just Matthew writing about what He did with Jesus, which would be cool, right? But and this is what distinguishes uh, biblical books, books that we find, letters we find in the Bible from other writings that we have yep. in antiquity. They might give us some cool pieces of history, and they're neat, but uh, but they're not inspired. Yep. That's a great segue. Like that? I thought. That's a great segue. Because um, I wanted to talk about, this is the thing that gave me my crisis of 
oh my gosh, I don't know if I can trust the Bible. Yeah. So I was in college in Bible class and we were talking about the Bible, specifically in the New Testament. Where do we get these letters from? How do we know that these are in the Bible? And what I was told in college was there was the Council of Nicaea that takes place hundreds of years later after Jesus has died, resurrected, all of that takes place. Hundreds of years later, there's the Council of Nicaea and that's where, they, that's where a group of men mm. picked the books of the Bible mm. that would be in the Bible. Mm. And in, I'm sitting in class going, if that's how that happened, <laughs> I have very grave concerns <laughs> about a lot of the things that I believe. Um, and so I did some digging, and that's not what happened at the Council of Nicaea. And so I thought, gosh, I'm wiping sweat off my brow. And then I just dug in and really, gosh, there's so much great confirmation for the books of the Bible. So, so what did happen? Yes, so the Council of Nicaea takes place because the the church has spread at this point. So this is hundreds of years after... 325 years. To be precise. Yes. <laughs> um, after the time after of the Jesus, of Jesus, there's yeah. the disciples, the apostles, churches are being planted. And so you have all these churches kind of all over the place. Um, and there's a guy named Arius, who, I think it's Arius, who has this idea that Jesus probably isn't the... He's not really fully God but he might have become God at some point. He's just, we're not sure if we would assign him. There were some new wacky ideas God that were coming and popping up. Yeah. And so they, the churches call together a council where they bring church leaders from all these various churches and they say, hey, we need to talk about this. Is this a real thing? Do we believe this? And so that's where you have the first council gathering of the church. And at that meeting, they also affirmed, they, they denied Arius' <laughs> theology. So they kicked that out, and they affirmed the books that they all agreed were canon, is the word um, right. that, that fits with that. So you have canon, it, it meets the standard, it meets the criteria of what's in the Bible. So it's not that they all got together and said, hey, Chris, what's your favorite book? Mm. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, include, mm. we'll include that in the Bible. Uh, Jake, you like... If you vote for mine, I'll vote for yours. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, I like, okay. to, I like to use the... Because the, I'm a word guy, words are important. Um, and so the word I like to use is recognized. Because it's not that at the council they said, uh, oh, this is a biblical book, this is not, this is, this is not. They looked at what existed at the time, and they said, hey, these are the books that every Christian group says for history. And, and really, Nicaea is primarily dealing with New Testament books. Mm -hmm. Correct. Because Old Testament books were already, um, yeah, pretty, pretty much preset. Yep. Um, there was no real argument Jews for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, some thousands right. of years, uh, had already uh, had those that body writing. So we're talking about New Testament books. And, and um, so they just recognized what was already seen as authoritative in the churches. Yep. Yep. And I, I think it's helpful to recognize historically, uh, we think with our mindset, oh, so what? There were multiple versions, uh, multiple Bibles that were circulating. There wasn't a printing press. Right. Right. So, so a particular letter that Paul wrote might be circulated, a copy of that is circulated among the churches, and people are learning and growing because of that. Another letter is circulated among the churches, and then another letter, and people would say, this doesn't sound right. Mm -hmm. This is not consistent with what we know from the other letters that we've written or from the Gospels or whatever. And so th with, with the Council of Nicaea, they just really said, no, these, these books, these letters, these, um, these individual uh, uh, documents— that uh, they have been proven over the last 200, 225 years, accepted and have shown us who God is, who Jesus is. And, and uh, we, just, we just want to 
bring them together in a way that we say, yeah, these, these are the ones. Yeah. Some these of those tests that they used are just, I, I find it to be common sense. So, right. like, does it deny anything that's consistently taught in all the other pieces of Scripture? Mm-hmm. If right. it does, eh, we have some questions. Uh, was it written by someone who it says it's written by? So, for example, like a, the, the Gospel of Thomas yep. can't possibly be written by Thomas because it uses a writing style that that postdates Thomas. I mean, mm-hmm. some of it is just very, or yeah. or the type of material it was written on, it, it, it doesn't, it didn't exist in the date that it purports to be written in. So some of it's just common sense, yep. um, like 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 we would apply to any. Yep, and that's that's the cool thing is because the Council of Nicaea was well documented. We have the criteria that they used to go through, and so you can look at that. And so they're asking, you know, was it written by? The term they used was a prophet of God, someone that was anointed by God, chosen by God to be a writer. Uh, for his word, is the letter confirmed by the acts of God? Does the document tell the truth about God? Does the writing come with the power of God? You know, God, again, we're, if we're looking at the internal claims, God's word says it's alive, it's active, it's always relevant. And so does the document live that out? And then finally, the last criteria they used was, do we know that the early church accepted this right. as the word of God? And if it didn't, they probably just kicked the document out because it's better to be safe when it comes to right. when it comes to evaluating these books. So we have all that criteria listed out, and you can work through that. And again, it just a lot of it is common sense stuff. That uh, I think works. a helpful thing to know because I didn't know this. I had a similar experience to yours. I didn't know this, but you can find those books. Right. Right. It's not like they're secret and right. hidden or anything. <laughs> right. You can get them online. You can buy them. I own them. I own a, a, a compendium of them. Um, yeah. And w- and you read them for yourself. And they, they read get, different than scripture. They yeah, they're yeah. kind of nutty. Yeah, that's yeah. some nutty stuff. Yeah, and so that's that's one of the things. Again, uh, when I'm going through my crisis of faith, it was around the Da Vinci Code came out. Oh, I like that. Uh, I yeah, like nice. that book. That was an entertaining it was read. I couldn't yeah. put it down. Well, Tom reasons. Hanks. <laughs> Anything that Tom Hanks is in, come on. <laughs> Man, he's such Mark a Red. <laughs> you watched oh, the movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was a book. Oh, I thought it was just a <laughs> oh my goodness, our crises are, are so different. Uh, <laughs> um, but one of the things that's in the Da Vinci Code is they, they've right. discovered the Gospel of Mary, oh, yeah. where Jesus yeah. is a- allegedly married to Mary. They have a sexual relationship, and so this this brings down all of these all of this theology in the church, and it's this crisis of faith for everyone. And so I'm reading the Da Vinci Code, going, "Oh my gosh, hmm. is this a history book? Like, d- did I miss it?" Yeah. And then you read through the Gospel of Mary, and it's like, "Oh, I know why they don't." I know why this isn't in the Bible because yeah. it's not, it's different here. It's written way after the time of Mary. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of the and we'll get into the, what the manuscripts are, but there's a lot of manuscripts missing with it, mm-hmm. so we don't even have the full letter. So there's a lot of these things that come up with skeptical questions are almost always quickly shot down by the, by the mountain of evidence that we have for the Bible. And super funny that uh, the scripture that we have tons of evidence for. Those same people will be skeptical of that, but then want to accept a Gospel of Mary that we have like <laughs> <laughs> terrible any kind of yeah. potential evidence for. Right. So sh- I mean, it's nice. Should, I shouldn't say funny. It's not funny. I, I really truly think it's it's how Satan uh, detracts from truth. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. anyways, I, yeah. this this may be your transitional Ooh. statement. <laughs> I think that it's really helpful to recognize that when we talk about whether we accept Scripture as authoritative, as, mm-hmm. as uh, inspired, as being from God. What we're going to talk about right now is really um, a historical, scientific method of looking at literature. Yep. Mm-hmm. It, uh, at this point, we're, the inspiration piece is not really what's on the table. What we're saying is, is what we have 
reliable and how to and and can we look at it right. in the same way that we look at any other um, historical literature right. and trust it? Right. That's 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 the piece that's critical yeah. because lots of times people say, "I just don't have enough faith to believe the Bible right. to believe that what we have in our hands." And it's not an that's not an issue of faith unless it's an issue of faith for us whether we believe what we read about George Washington or right. or about Genghis Khan or right. whoever that is. Yep, uh, it really is a a historical scientific method of looking at whether or not the documents that we have are reliable. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's again that's that's a criticism that came up often when I was looking into this issue when I had my my crisis of faith was okay, we believe that the original writings that all of these author wrote were God inspired. But now right. we have copies of copies mm-hmm. of copies. We don't have any and that was the thing that rocked my we don't have any original documents Correct. for the Bible. Correct. So how can you know that what you're reading is actually what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, what Matthew wrote when he wrote his gospel, if we don't have the original to compare it to, which gets into the evidence that we have. So I want to talk a little bit about the really exciting topic of manuscripts. (laughs) (laughs) It is kind of exciting. I like this topic. I like it. I just know we're the only ones listening, apparently, (laughs) at this point. (laughs) I remember talking about manuscripts in college and watching all the college students go, (laughs) I don't want to talk about manuscripts. I want to talk about all of the fights and wars that happen in the Bible. Mm. (laughs) So manuscripts are handwritten copies of a document. So if Rick types out a letter and I write a handwritten copy of it, I have created a manuscript. The original is called the autograph, and then we have manuscripts. We have scraps of manuscripts. (laughs) And so we don't have any autographs, any original documents for any of the documents in the Bible, which when when you first hear that, you can go, oh, man, that sounds concerning. Until you realize it's true of virtually every single historical document throughout history. Right. And the main reason for that is because they were all written on really bad pieces of paper. Yeah. <laughs> stuff that falls apart. Yep. When you write stuff on papyrus, it has a lifespan of like 20 to 50 years. Deteriorates. And then it's gone. Sure. And everything was written on papyrus. So that's why we don't have any originals. So there's that's not a conspiracy that... <laughs> you know, find them there, there's not a biblical national archives oh. place. <laughs> yeah. There's not. <laughs> um, so when it comes to manuscripts, um, these are fragments of the copies of the copies of the copies of that document. Recognizing some fragments are larger and and more tons of text. Some are the size of a credit card. Some are full manuscripts mm -hmm. of the full document letter. So it varies. And that's true, again, of all historical documents. So whether it's the book of Matthew and the Gospel or it's uh, writings from Socrates, that's the standard that's applied historically. So I wanted to start and just go through some historical documents just to lay out. This is what's normal for history. So you have Plato's Tetralogies, which are famous writings from Plato. We have about 230 manuscripts. Again, fragments, full manuscripts, whatever it might be. We have about 230. Herodotus, which is the, he's known as the father of history. He's the one that started writing historical stories and documenting all of that. We have about 100 manuscripts from him, except it is history. Homer's Iliad, which everyone reads in school. Not my school. <laughs> <laughs> we had to read Homer's Iliad in uh, in college, and I read the spark notes of it. It was uh, riveting. Oh, man. But wait for the movie. You just do the movie. movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. how we do it, Chris? <laughs> <The> Netflix special. <laughs> Netflix special, yeah. yeah. If you're out there, Netflix, you um, get on that. So Homer's Iliad is probably one of the best supported historical documents, even though it's not real history. Right. right. 
uh, has about 1,900 manuscripts, which is a really that's a really that's a large really amount. high bar. Yeah. That's abnormal mm-hmm. for historical documents. Yeah. So when it comes to the New Testaments, mm-hmm. the manuscripts that we have there are written in the original Greek language, number around 6,000. I think at the last time I checked, it was just under 6,000 manuscripts for all. Three, the that's three times the Iliad. Right, which is the Iliad's that, a very large. That's book. math again, right? Yeah, that okay. is. Yeah, carry the Three. one, yeah. uh, and that's again, that's just Greek language. When you start putting in other copies of copies, you have you have the Greek, Hebrew, Armenian, Latin, all that stuff. You get, and then you lump that in with the Old Testament manuscripts that we have. That number grows to over sixty-six thousand manuscripts for the Bible. So when you compare that, that's a lot to two hundred and thirty for Plato's Tetralogies, or 100 for Herodotus, the father of history that is always accepted as history. No one questions that. And you compare that to 66,000 for the Bible. It's pretty good support <laughs> yeah. when it comes to things like that, which I think is just really cool. So that is, again, when I'm going through this crisis of faith, that's where it's like... Well, and if, yeah, if I got 30 seconds, talk about scribes. So these guys that made these yeah. copies of copies, this was not just like, uh, oh, hey, I'm bored. I'm going to just copy this down. And this was their... Their, uh, they believed this was their God-given gig. Yep. They didn't just They're like, calling. hey, I can't get any yeah. other job, so I'll do this. Yep. Uh, they felt like God called them to this process. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. That's a lot of like sense of duty and calling. Yep. And they had, um, and then they would copy by hand. Yep. Slow process, obviously. Yep. But then they had a number of checks and balances to make sure that they didn't mess that up. One of those being starting at the top. However, you want to look at this. Yeah. Hebrew goes different than Greek, but just start it, starting at the top corner and the bottom corner, they would just count the letters and find the center letter. Well, then on the copy, they would just do the same exact thing. If the center letter was not the same, they would trash it mm-hmm. and start over. There's no erasers, you know. It's not. They would just trash it and start over. So that's an incredibly uh, uh, powerful process. And they had other checks and balances yeah. to make sure that these copies were not. Yeah. No, I think I think that's important to discuss and and, and understand that. We tend to think of, okay, when the church is copying all these manuscripts, it's written by the uneducated, the lowly of society. Sure. And really, scribes are like the professors of their society. They're yeah. elite yeah. in terms of their education. These are not people that they are do. just walking in off the right. street. They're highly trained in doing that. It doesn't mean that mistakes don't get through. We have manuscripts that seem to, like, words are yep. spelled differently. We have words mistakes. are put in different places. Yep. But because you have so many manuscripts... That's how we know they're mistakes. You're able to compare and say, okay, <laughs> right. this one's the mistake. And those uh, errors, and that's why we say, when we use the language, we say, uh, in the original manuscripts, we believe it's without error, mm-hmm. what God intended there. We, yeah. we recognize that... that Small, slight errors could happen. We've seen some. But any of those errors are errors of spelling, yep. punctuation, spacing. Yep. There, is no, there is no error that changes anything in terms of belief, theology, significant. I mean, none of it is significant, yep. um, at least not that I've found so far or anyone right. else that I'm aware of. So. Yeah. I haven't found it. Okay, yet. good. Yeah, good. Jake's our. You were curious. You <laughs> yeah, looked well, at I, me, so I was just wanted to. If confirm. anybody's doing the research on this, yeah, you keep looking. It's you. this is fun. I'm just right now. So far, I've just gotten. To, I'll stop. There's like so many things. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna talk about. Oh, Chris has got scratches. <laughs> Sorry. Let's <laughs> go, cool, man. This is good. This is fun. Jake, what do it. you want to talk about? Nothing. Chris is saying you guys just <laughs> keep bad. on going. It's I get excited about this. Right man, manuscripts get me hot. I'm just well. We're a lot more pumped than I thought. I love it. One of the things that I think is cool living in the time that we do. We have the benefit of archaeology, mm-hmm. and we have the ability. We have the benefit of some of the dating methods to be able to say, "Oh, this manuscript is older than yeah. this manuscript." Yep. And so, um, when 
when um, the Dead Sea Scrolls are found in 1947, 1947. Mm-hmm. yeah, um, all of a sudden they could say, oh, no, this, this is from the time of Christ. This is 1,000 mm-hmm. years or almost 2,000 years old, yeah. and there's no, um, no difference in, right. in terms of what we're working with at that point in time with a document that's, that's 2,000 years, yeah. that predates it 2,000 years. That's really, really cool. Yeah. And that's, that's what... Um, allows us to be able to say okay which is which is probably the the closest to the original right. uh, d- d- uh, to the autograph yeah well and some of that some of the the coolness of that also some of those manuscripts that we've found m- more recently let's say they take us to within a hundred years of the writing right that sounds like a lot to us yeah because we live in the email text age where it's seconds right. but not that 20 30 years ago maybe 50 years ago it was not that fast, even. I'm like, like we're right. writing a letter, and it's going to show up in a couple or right. three weeks. Right. So a hundred years to a culture that was pre- predominantly an oral culture, especially right. in that Old Testament, yep. um, that that is lightning fast. To right. within a hundred years, we've right. got a manuscript to check against. Yeah, that's just that's there. There's two things I want to hit on with that. So one, again, if you're comparing it to other historical documents that are accepted in academia, some of them, the first manuscript that we have from when we know that the time was written is a gap of hundreds mm-hmm. of right. years mm-hmm. and that's a normal historical standard mm-hmm. so if you have like i think the closest one we have for the new testament is within 40 years mm-hmm. less for than the, that for the gospel of john we have a fragment yeah. um of that manuscript that's within a very short within the lifetime and of that person. that's the important thing it's within the lifetime so as that popped up somebody john's friend or somebody who saw something different goes well hold on now that no no that didn't happen yeah right you know and that just becomes a powerful again check and balance yep. to the yeah, yeah and again in Perspective, because I'm in the old guy. Um, <laughs> um, pers- <laughs> per- no, this you were, this you were is, here before as texting an email, weren't you? As I get older, I I uh, time changes somewhat. Okay. So I I think things that I read about or that I thought were like ancient times when I was a kid, mm. stuff from the early 1900s. My grandpa was born in 1899. I remember my grandpa. I remember conversations with my grandma and grandpa about when they were young. Um, My picture of World War I is colored by my grandpa's experience. Mm -hmm. And that's now... A hundred years ago, yeah. Um, so the 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 distance really is a cool thing, yeah. That it's so short. And then I want to bring up, you brought up oral history, oh which this is another criticism that comes from the Bible is that we don't have for the Old Testament. Yeah. They didn't write anything down not for, for a, a while. long time. Mm-hmm. So everything is shared through oral history. We're just telling stories back and forth. So yep. how how are we to say? That you know Moses, maybe it was a different kind of burning bush, and maybe he got a little confused, and maybe he's exaggerating a little bit, and maybe the sea didn't really part, and he didn't really strike a rock and water came right. out of it. Maybe maybe Moses is just building. Somebody up. remembered that wrong in exactly. the process of Grandpa passing on story to Dad, exactly. passing on story to kid who passed it on to grandkids. Yeah, the examples always used is playing a game of telephone. Yeah, that yeah. Jake whispers something to you, you tell it to me, you tell it to Rick, and it's a totally so different. So let's message. let's use that. That's a great analogy. Is telephone? We would just have to change the rules of telephone a little bit to match oral tradition, which would simply be if the four of us were going to play telephone by those rules, you would say the thing out loud so the four of us hear it. I would repeat it to Jake so the four of us hear it. He would correct me. You would correct me. You would correct me until it's accurate. Then I would repeat it to Jake, and then he would repeat it to Rick with the four of us listening. I say four, but we're talking in a time where families live together. Mm -hmm. So you had 10 kids who each had kids, and they just added a tent onto the 
you know, the back 40 or whatever. <laughs> right. So your family is not four, like, like a lot of ours. Your family is yeah. 100. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a huge group. Yeah. And as Grandpa is telling the story of Moses and the burning bush around the campfire on Tuesday night, yep. and this time he goes, hey, grandson, you tell it today. Yeah. Well, we got this, we call it community correction. Community mm-hmm. correction was a co- huge component of oral tradition. Also, I feel like I'm talking a lot because this is, I love this stuff. Um, good. Also, uh, it's a different culture. They remembered stuff because yeah. they didn't have any other option but to remember stuff. Yep. I don't remember anything. If I don't write it down, so here's a freebie. Like, if you yeah. ever talk to me and you're like, hey, will you do this thing for me? And you don't see me email myself. <laughs> it is not, it's just not going to happen. I don't remember stuff because yeah. I don't have to remember stuff. Right, right. So this is a culture that that is what they did is remembered stuff. Yeah. And there was probably less stuff. To Could you imagine, though, being the guy who Grandpa tells, like, hey, do you want to tell the story? Nope. No. No. <laughs> no, because all, everybody around here is going to tell the story over top is, of me. This culture is brutal. Yeah. Except, all except the time. it was an honor. Was, you know? yeah. So if we think yeah. about Jewish, yeah. I don't know what yeah. we all know about Jewish tradition, but we just think about the Passover Seder meal, yeah. you know, where the, the, the kids get to ask the questions, and they're asked the same every year. But it's an honor for that kid to get to ask that question at dinner yeah. that then Grandpa's going to yep. answer with a kind of a rote response type right. of thing. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. I think it's it's important to emphasize, and you talked about it, that culturally very different. Yeah. Today we don't remember things. Cool. We don't remember what we had for breakfast, let alone what we did, what our grandparents did 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. I'll just Google it. It's easier. So the example I always use, again, because this is in my crisis of faith, so I'm digging, trying to find information, and there are records of auctioneers. So they're having auctions in the marketplace where the auctioneer will start at, at sunrise and will work until sundown all day, will not have anything in writing, and at the end of the day, we'll go to the bank and we'll be able to tell the banker mm-hmm. exactly what was sold, who it was sold to, the amount it was wow. sold for, the specific item number, and do that all from memory and would do that every single day. Mm-hmm. So that's the culture that they live in where you have to remember things because you're not writing things down. So if you don't remember it, yeah, it doesn't happen. And if we bring it back into perspective of this was not them, and that's a great example yeah that's just auctioneer and prices right these guys this was god's revelation to right. them like right. really important to get right and yes to remember. much more important than an auction <laughs> item yeah I, <laughs> the, the pressure of getting it right of remembering would be yep. you know enormous large yeah. yeah enormous awesome okay so we've established uh the validity of oral history we've mm. established manuscript evidence so we know that with pretty good certainty what is what we have is what was written with pretty good certainty right how do we know that what was written wasn't a lie how do we know that the disciples when jesus died how do we know they didn't just lie and say well hey guys let's get together hey matthew you write that jesus rose from the dead and luke you come here you tell people that you interviewed people and that jesus rose from the dead and we'll just construct Christianity will break off from Judaism, will get power and influence and riches, and we're all going to lie. Go. Yeah, they would have been really, really bad at that. Um, <laughs> from the idea of, like, if I'm going to lie to you guys and tell you something about myself, I'm going to be sneaking awesome in my story, right? Right. Like, right. I could tell you all the stuff that I bench pressed in college at football, and I'm just going to lie. 600, right? You, 600. You, Look yeah. at me right now. You per know arm. I did. Per arm. Yeah, yeah easily, <laughs> right? Like, so I'm going to tell that story. 
Um, the stories that these guys told w- would be kind of humiliating for some mm, of them. Very embarrassing. Yeah. Like Peter is, oh, what is it in the Gospels where like there's one version of when Peter's running mm. and he like tells it like, oh yeah, you know, I was running there. But then when John tells that story, it's like, yeah, and I blazed past <laughs> Peter. Barely whipped him. Slow, like all that stuff, right? And it's like Peter didn't quite bring it up that same way, right? And I think that just gives the, the validity of like, the stories that are told, some of the stuff is absolutely humiliating for some mm-hmm. of these guys. You fell asleep yeah. when Jesus needed you most. You know, uh, you lost denied faith, Christ. Yeah, get it again. Denied Christ, like all of those things. But yet, that's in the story. They're not building themselves up. Yep. And then, as a result of them telling these stories, they didn't get riches. Mm. They didn't get. Yeah. yeah. They were famous, but not famous probably in ways they that was good for their maybe own more health and security. <laughs> maybe more infamous. Yeah. yeah really. <laughs> realistically. So like these guys wound up in prison. They wound up being killed for all of these kinds of things. And and the beautiful part about it is this isn't just like oh this happened just to Peter. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You've got a dozen guys and more yep. that are claiming to have seen Jesus or claiming these kinds of things that are dying as a part of of what they believe to be truth. And so, like, their ability to stand up for it, it would just be counterintuitive in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, uh, um, you just said what they believed to be true, and I would just say what they knew to be true. Sure. Absolutely. It was was not, yeah, I think they died Mm -hmm. because of what they believed and and what they had seen and heard. Um, Yeah. Right. I'll, I'll bring up community correction again in this point, because yep. while we're in a New Testament context, it's still Jews. Right. And so uh, I, I believe it's First Corinthians talks about um, Jesus appearing to this, this, and more than 500 of the brothers. Correct me, verse yep. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians. Sounds right. Mm-hmm. Someone check it. Um, <laughs> in the comments, if you and, and if you're one of those 500, you're going, well, uh, no, not me. Yep. I didn't. He didn't. I didn't see that. Mm. So that's that community again. Community correction that right. somebody and, would have. And again, historical context is really right. important. So there's the community correction piece in small town, um, <laughs> in, in a small town setting. Yeah. So uh, um, I've said before when I was in in Israel, for perspective, most of Jesus Galilean ministry took place in an area about from DeWitt to St. John's to Langsburg to North Lansing. It's a small area mm-hmm. with, uh, with, uh, with a lot of small communities. And so when someone would say, oh, yeah, this happened, um, everybody would have said, nah. They, they, they just would have discredited those stories if they were not true. Right. In a time when the Romans were looking for things to discredit the right. story. Yeah. Right. right. So, yeah. yeah. The 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 example I always use when 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 someone brings up the question of well how do we know they didn't just lie, create this conspiracy. I look at it doesn't take long for actual conspiracy theories to fall apart. <laughs> and the example yeah. I use is Watergate. Yeah. yeah. So Watergate, yeah. if you look in history, it did not take long at all for the people involved in Watergate to be like I can't take this anymore. Yeah. Like, they fold. It's, yeah. it's things are slipping through the cracks, people are cracking here and here and there and the story just eventually comes out in a very short period of time. Yeah. So for this to be where, you know, Paul is sent to different countries, different cities, James is here, Peter's over here and all of their stories consistently line up to right. the point that many of them are killed for what they believe. That that's just not how conspiracy theories fold out. Yeah, especially right. if there's, like Jake pointed out, there is no benefit to them. Right, right. They didn't get money. They didn't get power. They didn't get chicks. They didn't yep. get fame. They just got hurt. <laughs> well, and it wasn't just this community that was talking about it. Right. Right. Good. Like, you have people that weren't followers of Jesus 
who are mm-hmm. validating the stuff that the right. followers of Jesus right. are saying, yep. or at least their their affirmation and their belief that it was yeah, like yeah. they were this uh, the aware of it. Yeah, this sure. Much. The church yeah. was really doing this, and it made a stamp yes. on other people mm-hmm. through Josephus and so many others that like they're acknowledging it. It's not just yeah. the church that's acknowledging and saying this, but the rest of the world is acknowledging and validating yep. it as yeah. well. Yeah, the the consistent assessment of the disciples from people that are not Jesus followers, not is, supporters, not fans. It's very clear that they believed what they're saying. Yep. So yeah. jo- Josephus affirms that. Modern day scholars affirm that. It's like, hey, we don't believe this, but it's very clear that the disciples believed what they were right. saying right. when they're spreading the gospel. Which is r- really an inter- interesting um, level right. of arrogance right. to yeah. say. <laughs> the people who were there, they, th- they absolutely thought it was true, but nah, we don't think so. We just don't like it. Yeah. That, that becomes a question of faith. Right. They're like, I don't want to yeah. believe a God loves me or has desires for me or I have I'm gonna live in ways to please I don't want to do with any of that. So I just don't believe the Bible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's cool, why not? Well because those guys just lied and made it up. Oh well, that's not an option. Oh because it was just a bunch of well that's not an option. So it's cool it's yeah. not cool. That's not the right word. There's a better word here. Yeah. That's it's your choice to decide I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Yep. But you can't do it on the basis that it was fake, that he didn't exist. Yep. That I mean, right. you got to do it on the basis of don't tell me what to do, yep. I guess. Yeah, the, the comforting thing that I always go back to is it's it's comforting that with almost all of these questions, God has a very clear answer for it. And you're still left with that choice of, mm-hmm. even though you have the answer, that we have the manuscripts. We we know right. that we, it's it's pretty clear that they weren't lying. We have We have the understanding of oral history. And then you're just left with that choice. Right. You can still choose. I don't trust it. And that's your choice. But you have the answers in front of you. God's very clear with that, which yeah. I think is really cool. Um, so one of the other, uh, th- th- we, we touched on this a little bit, but this is one of the criticisms that comes up that I think is worth addressing, is the variations in the story. So the Gospels usually come up with that, where you have Matthew's version, Mark's version, Luke's version, and John's version. And it seems like when they tell the stories, sometimes they're a little different. There's an, there, the example, I, I forget where it is. Matthew says that they're up on a mountain, but Luke says they're on a plateau. Mm-hmm. Those are different so that must be that mm-hmm. it's not trustworthy. Made up. Variations like yeah, that. Sure. So how do we deal with, I mean, that's a, that's a small example of maybe, well, maybe there's just a flat part of the mountain. <laughs> and so Luke says plateau, Matthew says mountain. But when it comes to differences within those stories, how do we reconcile that? Are they contradicting each other? Are they less trustworthy because of that? How do we deal with that? I, I think that it's really helpful to just take a step back mm-hmm. and say, Okay, are we trying to understand, or are we trying to make a point with our opinion uh, yep. for for whether it's true or not? I was thinking, in knowing that we were going to film today, I was thinking, you know, if we were to tell the story of me coming to North Point, mm-hmm. being on staff at North Point eight years ago, um, I would tell it. I, I would tell my story. That would be yeah. easy. If you ask Chris who was managing the process from the church's perspective of how Rick came to North Point, he would tell a different story. It's the same story, right? but from a completely different perspective. There, there would be things that he would see and that were significantly meaningful from his perspective that I may not mention or may not be a big deal to me at all. Yep. And then things that would be very meaningful to me that it doesn't matter to Chris. Yep. Um, and if you were to ask Jake that same story, he is a couple of years removed, but he's heard the story told yeah. a whole bunch of times, and he would probably tell it differently with some pieces from both of us. Yeah. Um, 
when you look at the Gospels and recognize that um, some are first-person accounts, um, mm-hmm. one of those accounts is, is uh, you know, Mark's, uh, his information probably came primarily from Peter. Mm-hmm. You know, he's writing the auto, uh, auto, uh, he's re- writing the biography of Jesus from Peter's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all going to see things differently. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, it's just important to clarify. And, and you find variances like that throughout, and a lot of times they're reconcilable because of that perspective well, and, and, and Yeah, perspective. So so at the resurrection, when when one of the accounts says there was an angel there, and another account says there were two angels there, hmm. oh, people will say, oh, that's conflict. Well, not necessarily, because... There was if an angel. Th- there was an <laughs> angel there, and that person saw one angel. Uh, right. That that writer saw two angels. Right. That doesn't mean that there was only one. Mm-hmm. And if there was one, if there were two, there was one. Right. So right. Uh, it's it's not a contradiction, just a uh, an difference. Emphasis. Yeah. Different in, perspective in the law enforcement world, or or even parenting world. Uh, if you just think about it, uh, if you have two <laughs> or three, so you got <laughs> you got a bunch of kids. You know exactly I have six what. Kids, yes. Yeah. So so when when the lamp is broken, oh, sorry, we'll we'll, we'll uh, uh, just use the the kid because law enforcement looks for those disparities in the story because then they know it wasn't a concocted story. Yeah. There right. should be some differences when when an accident happens and there are four people saw that accident. They know that they're going to have different. But you're looking for what's the common vein, right? So, but if you have if you have three kids and you get home and the lamp is broken, you're like, how'd the lamp get broken? And they each tell this really neat story about an alien that came down and shot it with a laser. Johnny, what alien came down laser? Larry, alien came down laser. And you're like, well, I uh, don't think that sounds because if it's spot on, yep. You know, Dad knows. Hmm, sounds like you guys got together again in law enforcement. It's why they. I hope I'm not like sharing secrets here, but they will often separate yes. uh, individuals yep. into different places and do different interviews because they want to hear a non-concocted story. Right. So the fact that there's differences in the Gospels, for example, that's actually a point in the validity column right. <laughs> and not a point in the, right. well... Right. Uh, yes, because the criticism would arise that they're just copying off each other's papers. <laughs> if Matthew is exactly like Mark, is exactly like Luke, is exactly like John... I would have questions. Yeah. That would be an understandable reaction of, well, why do we have... Mark, Luke, and John, if they're exactly the same as Matthew, they're just copying each other's papers. They're cheating on their homework. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was always a thing, right? Like when people would uh, ask to copy my homework. <laughs> Which <you> never. <laughs> right. It was copy, they copied my homework for yeah. sure. Was hypothetical. It? You would never do that. So right. No, I, I wouldn't do that. Obviously. But it was always, hey, bro, yeah, just change a few, diff- change a few answers. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, also, shout out, thank you, Billy, for helping me get through geography in high school. <laughs> Way to go, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I think we've handled the uh, the skeptic side, the criticism side. Is there anything on that side that you think we haven't addressed? Oh, I went back. The Apocrypha. We talked about letters in the New Testament. So there's the Gospel of Mary, Judas, Thomas, books that were uh, letters that were written much later. That's why we don't have them in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, though, there are Bibles that have an additional, I think, 14, is it 14 books, mm-hmm. 11 to 14 Probably, yeah. books called the, they're grouped together and they're called the Apocrypha. I didn't look up what that means. I just know they're called Apocrypha. I don't, uh, somewhere in the recess of my, my brain, I know. Okay, Google. This is, <laughs> how, this is how we do it here yeah. on the podcast. Let's, let's see how good Rick is before we tell him, though. We'll, we'll yeah. fill time. Keep, keep padding. We'll fill time. Uh, the, um, <laughs> the, the easiest place that you'll find them is in many Catholic Bibles. Yeah. The Apocrypha will be there between yeah. the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
Yep. And so if you're if you're coming, <coughs> excuse me, from a Catholic background, yep. Um, you're and you say, well, this this 66 looks books. this looks different than mine. Yep. That's that's where that difference is going to yep. be. What's it Latin for? I need more pad time. <laughs> Apparently, I can't spell, so that's part of the problem here. Uh, it says apocrypha from Greek uh, to hide away in biblical literature works outside an accepted canon of scripture. This is from Britannica.com, oh. so not a religious site, but works outside of the accepted canon of scripture. Uh, that's interesting that, in essence, dictionary.com yeah. defines it as outside of accepted canon. Of scripture, and again, canon means standard. Yeah, so R sixty yeah. or in the in the Old Testament, which I've learned today, has thirty nine books, because um, <laughs> math is important, friends. Stay in school. Where's Billy when I need? I know him? Billy, <laughs> help us out. Um, uh, yeah, and so uh, and again, the apocrypha. Uh, I've read them. There's a couple. Yeah. Of, the, some of the books are interesting. Uh, they're all historical by nature. Maccabees. Um, Maccabees is a great book. Yeah, actually helps you understand where where we get uh, Hanukkah from. So if you're yep. kind of interested, I mean, there's some decent stuff there. It's not terrible. It just doesn't it doesn't uh, change anything we think theologically or anything we believe. And while the Jews accepted it as a historical book early on, mm-hmm. they didn't accept it as part of like their scripture. canon of scripture yeah. either. So. Inspired. Yeah. Yeah. So they, yeah, it's not necessarily like evil or bad. It's yeah. just not inspired in canon. Like if you read it, it's mm. going to help you understand mm. context, maybe mm. um, mindsets, all of those kinds of things a little bit. So it's not a bad thing to to read or understand a little yep. bit. It's just not scripture. We wouldn't do devotions with it. No, I wouldn't do devotions yep. with it. Yeah, and and again, if we if we go back to a few series ago, um, the Book of Jude quotes from one of those books from the Apocrypha, and it was something that was accepted by the Jewish community in terms of its historical content. It was mm-hmm. something that people knew. They recognized that passage mm-hmm. when it was written into Jude. And we could go deep into the weeds on this, because some thinking is that it may not be Jude quoting the Apocrypha, but just quoting, like you just said, accepted Jewish wisdom literature right. of the time, which happens to also be referenced in the Apocrypha. Right. And writings from rabbis and the Talmud, and again, we're in the weeds, and maybe yeah. we don't care. Yeah. No, I think it, it, I wanted to bring it up because it, it emphasizes a point of there was a, a, a pastor that was talking about the Apocrypha, and he said there's a difference that we have to understand between things that are good mm-hmm. and things that are God. Mm. And so that's what canon is trying to delineate, is the Apocrypha might be good, but we aren't confident to say that it's God. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it might be something that's good. It's good to reference. It's good historical knowledge. It's good contextual knowledge. But we're not going to put the stamp of this is God's inspired word on it. Because the early Jews didn't. The later Jews didn't. I mean, we come back right. to that concept of canonization. or yes, It's not know. a decision that's made now. Correct. It's affirming a decision or recognizing a decision that was made earlier. Right. Good, good clarification. Okay. So now we get to today. So we have our Bibles. And so one of the things I want to talk about is, again, if you're, new to, if, you, if you're new to the Bible, you're new to Christianity, you go to your local bookstore, you download the Bible app, and you're presented with this option of picking a translation. A million <laughs> translations. Where you can just scroll through the list yeah. of KJV, NIV, NLT, ESV, NASB, all these different letters. What do those mean? How do you pick a translation? Why do we even have so many translations? So that's what I want to... I want to put that question to ease for if that. If you person. are super interested in this, Bible matters. We spend six <laughs> weeks. One of those weeks, we will spend talking about Bible translations. So, I think it's worth just clarifying what what is a Bible translation. So we, we have our Bible today. I I typically read from the English Standard Version. I, I know Ricky usually preach from the the New International Version. NIV. Yep. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, what's the process of getting the NIV? 
How did they get that translation? Where'd that come from? Um, in the seventies, there was a translation that again from the from the oldest manuscripts yep. that were available at that point in time. Uh, translation into language as it made sense in the in the seventies. Yep. One of my professors in college was a part of that translation team. Oh, really? Which, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, uh, he, uh, Dr. Foster, um, and. And so that probably colors my <laughs> my bent towards NIV. But every translation has a different kind of a focus. Mm-hmm. You can I've I've said before if um, if I go to uh, another country and am preaching, and they translate, they can translate word for word what I say. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, one place where I was, that was happening as I spoke. They were translating literally word for word that works but you lose some of the meaning because what i'm trying to communicate is maybe bigger than the individual words mm-hmm. as they're put together you can you can translate the meaning and use different words that aren't necessarily a word for word translation yep you can do some combination of of those things um, and so that's a that's a normal thing that happens it happens, you know, at the UN when when somebody's speaking and it gets translated in all the different languages. It's being trans. There are translators who are trying to communicate what has been said to the hearer in a language that they can understand and get that that full meaning of. Yep. So with scripture, you've got Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament written primarily in Greek, some Aramaic. That's translated then to English. Mm-hmm. The reason why it's translated, why there are so many translations, is because language changes. Mm-hmm. And so, King, the language of King James in 1600 is very different than our language yep. in 2022. Um, the language from 1970 is different yep. than it is in 2022. And so, there's always this this desire to say, if this is God's word, if this is God revealing himself to us, we've got to make sure that we understand it as best we can. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the translations are just more readable. They're just more understandable. And so uh, sometimes when I've studied, I've used the international children's version, which is which is written at a sixth grade level, huh. um, which is, it's just a simpler breakdown uh, to say, and it's a translation. So yep. it's not... Um, it's not a paraphrase. A paraphrase typically is when the translation is done to English, those words that are there in English are then paraphrased to try and make more sense. Yep. So it's like one generation removed from the original. Yep. Um, that's when we talk about the message, when we read the message, the message is a paraphrase. Mm-hmm. The living Bible is a paraphrase, a, mm-hmm. a Bible that I... Um, up with again when I was when I was a teen. Good news for modern man was mm-hmm. that was a paraphrase. Um, there's not anything wrong with that. That that can be really helpful in terms of understanding. Mm-hmm. But it's always best to be able to go back to the source as much as you can. So so when I study, I use, I I w- will typically use whatever I can that is going to give the clearest meaning. But then I will oftentimes use a different version on Sunday morning that communicates most clearly. Mm. The study allows me to understand what was originally written, and then I want to communicate that so that people can understand it as as good as possible. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Jake, why do you use 
the English Standard Version. Well, number one, I'm right. And, uh, <laughs> I knew it. I'm not studying at a sixth grade level when <laughs> I do my Bible research, so uh, we're just going to let that skate by. <laughs> ah! We didn't say no, no, a word. There Someone was going to say it. Okay. There are times. I was just like, man, I was kind of well, proud of us, but then I couldn't resist. I think the NIV is also written at a sixth grade level. Ooh. Is it? I'm somewhere in that range, yeah. Well, maybe the uh, maybe the International Children's is fourth grade. It's going to be like I'm five. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, for me, uh, and I think... Uh, what is interesting, because I was actually going to say with you, uh, a lot of times those we're looking through app notes, you've got tons of different versions mm. yeah. that you've placed mm -hmm. in there um, to try and get all of those to come through. Uh, and I think all of us would read different versions in our study uh, to be able to find out, okay, how does this go there? We love to utilize tools like Blue Letter Bible mm. and things yeah. like that to break it all down. Um, ultimately, it comes down because for my preference and what I think is communicated well for our language today I like the ESV. I like just like the way it communicates when I teach to be able to say, hey, these words come down. There's not a lot of lost in translation mm -hmm. um, throughout the evolution of language in our American culture. Um, I like it as a reliable source, all of those kinds of things. Now, that's not going to say like if Rick uses the NIV that I'm going to go, oh, man, what in the world, right? Come on, yeah. get it together. Um, I think there's just a lot of preference, and I think it speaks really well. I was NIV for the longest time, um, but it's just become what I understand best is mm -hmm. through ESV, and so it's just easier for me to give out. Yep. Yeah, and I think it's. I, I wanted to bring up this this at least the process of translation because I think it helps remove some of the tribalism that comes with translations. So when a when when a translation is formed, so you have the English Standard Version, when you have the NIV, NLT, whatever it might be, that is formed by a committee of people. So very rarely do you have one person right. translating the entire Bible. And the reason they do that is to help avoid theological bias. Yeah. So if you get a bunch of people that all agree on the same things and they come to a word that might be disputed by someone else, they're all going to agree and they're just going to input their theological bias into that. And that sometimes happens because it's translated by fallen people. Right. But the goal of having a committee of translators is that Jake could come across a Greek word and I might disagree with his uh, translation of that. So then we can have a discussion as a group. What communicates around. best? What's going to be the best way to communicate if we're going through or if we're going for the English Standard Version, which is trying to be as word for word as possible. Mm -hmm. We'll debate that. And if we're doing the New Living Translation, which is going to be more thought for thought, paraphrase-ish kind of translation, then we'll debate how do we translate that word into this type of writing. And so the Hopefully, there's a little bit of comfort in that because, again, in my crisis of faith, it's like, oh, man, is there just one person translating the Bible and they're just writing whatever they want and I just have to take their word for it that they're translating the Greek and the Hebrew even though I don't know yeah. them? And so that's the benefit of, of understanding. And you can go to these. Each translation, for the most part, has a website mm -hmm. where you can go and check the credentials of the people translating it and check their education and check how yeah. many people are on the committee. And so it's very transparent, which is nice. <laughs> if you're skeptical about these things, like I am. <laughs> so, sometimes, uh, and maybe it's just the circles I ran in or run in, uh, people think, well, I really want to get a Bible that has the most word-for-word -word mm -hmm. translation because that's the most accurate. <laughs> that's the most faithful. And and there's just it, 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 just understanding the con that there is none because <laughs> yeah. it makes no sense when you go right. word for it. Anybody that speaks multiple languages, like you're well aware of this, mm -hmm. like you, right. there's always some thought for thought translation. So yeah, I just pulled up, I just pulled up Matthew six for fun. Uh, verse nine, this would be the most literal way that we have available <laughs> to people who don't speak the original language to translate Matthew six, which is a verse where all, many people are very familiar with. This is how it would sound in this way. Then pray father, our who is in heaven. Hallowed be name your 
beautiful. And maybe we recognize some of that, but we're like, what? Yeah. Because that's yeah. it's just syntax and the yeah. way that words work, and so there will always be some. Yep, that's a good sense of even even in just understanding the English language. If we're translating into English, yep. has hundreds of thousands of words that you right. can use, right. whereas Greek I think has under forty thousand words total. And if you're going into very ancient Greek, it's even less than that. So you're taking something that's very it's constructed differently, it's spoken different, it's written differently than it's spoken. And so you have all of that. Yeah. And so there's gonna be that's what translating is, right. is to take what the written word is and to as best as possible translate it into a modern understanding. The, the question that I uh, often hear is then what what's the best translation for me to read? Yeah. And I think our answer is all the same, which is whatever one you read. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now there are some that are better for certain purposes than others. Yeah. Right. So some that are more on the, uh, they call it dynamic equivalent side where there's more thought for thought, they are more readable. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I, for my, a lot of my personal devotions, I use the message version because it just, it reads nice to me. Mm -hmm. But if I'm gonna study, that's probably not where I'm gonna start. And so there are just different translations that are, but whatever you use, that that's the right translation. Mm -hmm. And translation's an important word there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd I'd weigh in and say, if if you're reading and it's new to you, mm -hmm. the New Living Translation is a great place because it's thought and it's very readable. Mm -hmm. It's 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 very accessible. If you're if you're on the study end. Um, I'd, I would even probably go past ESV and go to the New American Standard Bible. NASB, sure. It, because its uh, translation is very literal. Mm -hmm. um, and then even beyond that, and I've talked about this on Sunday morning, I use the Amplified Bible because yep. it will, in the translation, it will flesh out a word that has multiple um, meanings, uh, multiple facets of a meaning, yep. it will list that out um, to to like more fully describe what trust is rather than just using the word trust. Yep. And and so that's helpful for me. Amplified Bible, great way to get at that. I want to highlight a tool that Jake mentioned, uh, Blue Letter Bible. Yep. Blue Letter Bible is free. They have an app. They have a website. Yep. costs you nothing, and it gives you way more than you will probably ever use or want. Great. I don't want to give away the ghost here, but I know that Jake and I use that a ton I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, for study purposes, which yeah. and this is like we got other options we could use, but it's just a really neat go-to go tool. Mm -hmm. It has different translations in there you can pick from, mm -hmm. but then it will give you the, the original meaning of the words, the other places that it's used. Yep. And then what I just read from, that that's from Blue Letter Bible, so yep. it's a simple right. one-stop shopping just so we're clear, I use Blue Letter Bible too in my sermon prep, oh. not just the International Children's Version. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> I thought you were like way more like pastoral level, nah. you know, well, stuff. Part of the prep. Yeah, it's good stuff. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Mark! <laughs> I don't. I have a different tool, but that's all right. Um, one thing I do want to talk about is, so that we've talked about there's there's word for word, there's thought for thought, there's paraphrase. Are there principles that help us avoid translations that might not even really be translations? So there's a lot of Bibles out there that say uh, it's this type of translation. How do we evaluate, you know, again, if I open up the Bible app, there's many many more translations than just ESV, NIV, NLT, NASB, KGV, NKGV. There's a lot of translations in there. And so knowing that we live in an age of the internet where information is accessible, how do I go about evaluating? Is this a good translation? 
Is this a God translation? Is this something that's going to be beneficial for study? Evil translation, <laughs> a misleading translation. Exactly. How do yeah. how do we evaluate that biblically, or in a biblical mindset? I guess. Go for it, Chris. I felt like there was a lot of questions <laughs> in there, and I'm just yeah. trying to sort of filter out. I guess where I'll start is. Uh, um, this becomes an important piece of being connected to people in a church yep. because then you can ask. That, yep. That's a helpful thing, yep. right? Because you got a resource there. So a life group or, uh, you know, whomever. I, obviously, we're all accessible. Like, you can ask, hey, is this a decent? Mm-hmm. So that's an option um, and probably a really good place to start. Yep. Uh, I, I would trust the Bibles that are on you version. I mean, those are uh, all good translations and not actually completely different Bibles. Mm-hmm. Some other religions have their own Bible that they may call a translation, but it's it's not. It's really their own Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a cautionary to that, and you won't find that on version. Those Bibles are not going to be on there. Mm-hmm. And if your cousin gives you that and you bring it on a Sunday and tell Mark, oh, hey, I'm really excited about this, <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're happy to field yeah. that. What else am I not answering? If there's material in the Bible that you're reading that's not in the more trusted versions, mm-hmm. that's a that's a big red flag. Yes, if someone is adding a lot to their translation that doesn't really if end up in other translations. Adding a little to yes. their translation. So if you're if, yeah, if you're reading a translation and the you know, if the if the Lord's Prayer, which you can look up anywhere and find what the Lord's Prayer is, if their version of the Lord's Prayer is a little different, a little longer, that's probably a Translation that might just be worth avoiding. An example I use all the time, and I, you know, it's it's. I don't even know if it's in print anymore. I got it, you know, back in the back in the nineties. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, you're I own it. You're well to look <laughs> at it. Uh, it's called Word on the Street Bible. I'm in trouble now, um, <laughs> but uh, but it's interesting, and and it's it, it self proclaims as a paraphrase. But what yeah. what this guy who does it does is he just uh, literally will sum up entire chapters with, and then Moses went and did other things, yeah. and then he signs his name to it. So it's kind of funny, you know, and I don't really know what the intention was behind it. Making, huh. I don't know, yeah. but that's not re- that's not a translation. Right. That's something else. And right. Maybe it serves a purpose, but it's not a yeah. translation. But I think I think that's an important clarification because even like for me, when I can, when it comes to evaluating a translation, there's criteria. Like I want to know that it's translated by a committee. If you sure. have it translated by one person, I just I'm going to avoid that. Mm-hmm. And so even when it comes to translations that people say this is a translation, but it's a paraphrase, that for me, is a red flag. Like right. when, when we look at the message, the guy that paraphrased that said, this is a paraphrase. This is not a translation. This is right. meant to be word-for-word word study. This is meant to help my church understand in a more easily readable way. Sure. So if Devotional, you have a paraphrase yeah. and, it, and it's marketed as a translation, I would probably just avoid that. Another criteria that we often use when it comes to translations is what, what language did they translate from? Yep. So... Uh, unreliable or less reliable translations are going to translate from some other not original language Latin. to another. Sure, from Latin Terrible. to English, from Spanish to French, from you name a thing. Yep. Um, those those are really, uh, those are translations that c- could have obvious language errors yep. just in that translation. Yep. So we want to know that they went back to the original languages. We also know, Rick re- referenced this earlier, that they went back to the most reliable, what we say, the right. most reliable body of manuscripts, because there was a couple yep. options you can choose from. One is smaller and goes back uh, so that the separation between original and manuscript is further, but then there's another body that came out of a different kind of area of the world yep. that those manuscripts are much 
more, and they go much closer. And most modern Bibles, NIV, ESV, NASB, uh, all the ones NIT, all the ones we're talking about, go to that most reliable yep. uh, version. And we don't probably want to get into the one that doesn't because that's my yeah. own pet peeve. The um, the I, I was me. I was just going to say the the um, to put this in real world practice. Yep. So uh, we support missionaries who who have planted a church in another culture with a yep. new language mm-hmm. that have translated the scripture into the language of those mm. uh, of that people group. Yeah. They didn't um, when when Bible translators go into a new place to learn the language, learn the culture, and communicate. They don't take their King James or their NIV or their ESV Bible and translate from English to the new language. Mm. They're looking at the original language, at the Greek, to communicate, okay, what's this say in the original language, and how do we communicate that most effectively Mm. in the current language? So it's not a step away. It's going back to the source. And they go to, so the example I hear often is like we, in English, we hear the phrase Lamb of God, Uh and that's a very common Jewish concept. We understand that concept, but there are other cultures where they don't have sheep. Right. (laughs) They don't understand that, but they do have pigs. Yeah. And so that's a known quantity, and it's an animal that is loved and endeared. I mean, so it it carries all the same, um, whatever you want to call it, emotion, meaning, validity. But we would look at that and go, the the pig of God. <laughs> How offensive could that? Yeah. But again, you know that that that's yeah. that language. Yes, a similar kind of deal. When we talk about the heart right. as as the center we are, there are cultures that don't think the heart's the center. They would say either the brain or the kidneys. Yeah. You know, so the, oh, that's the kidney, and that's that Jewish culture. They call yeah. it the gut, the bowels. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. if you read the King James version, you'll read, you know, from the center of my bowels. Yeah. Well, that looks good on a Valentine's Day card. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you want to I talk about, you. I would love you with all my bowels. I, I mean, you know, so. you can. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, let me. If I just want to throw this in, the 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 thing that I want us to know, because this is helpful to me, um, is that a God who could supersede the entirety of history, mm-hmm. to create history in such a way that His Son would be born at a perfect time in a perfect place, or however you want to articulate. God's sovereign ordination of history can also do that with his scripture yeah, and right. can do that in such a way that the Bible you read is reliable and it's, it's okay. You can read that. Yep. Like, I don't want people to have such a concern about, oh my gosh, is my translation? And then Rick gets 3,000 emails on, check me on this, which we're fine with. Send them all to Rick, our ruble at North Point CC. Yeah. But, um, but, but, but God too oversees that process as well, not only the books that made it in, yeah. but as well as our translations today. So. Yep. yep. Which I think is another good segue. It's like you read my I notes. I actually didn't. I <laughs> and should. So there is again. This is if I'm going through. If I'm if I'm organizing this based on my crisis of faith, there comes points, especially in the New Testament, where there are translations that leave certain stories out, and they say it's because they're not in the manuscripts. So like the example, the first one that was brought up to me is in John seven, end of John seven, and then beginning of John eight. There's the story of the woman that's caught in adultery. She's brought before Jesus. They're ready to stone her. Jesus writes something in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. And then they, they run away, and she tells, he tells the woman, go and sin no more. And then there's an, some of your Bibles might have a footnote that says, this story from John 7.53 to John 8.11 is not found in the oldest manuscripts. 
And there's other stories like that where you have very few end of Matthew very few, 16, very few, or Mark 16. Yep, the longer ending to the book of Mark. There's a, there's one phrase in Luke 23 that Jesus says that's not in some of the older manuscripts, but it is in others. So how do we, you know, if we're if a, if a skeptic is coming to us saying like, hey, your own Bible says that you have stories in there that aren't even in the oldest manuscripts, how can you trust that? What do we do with those stories? I I that I would love to have that kind. Of kind of conversation because I, w- I would just simply say that's why we can trust it mm. because we are because we know these are the oldest reliable manuscripts mm-hmm. that's that's where we're going to be our our source so um, f- I know for all of us on the teaching team uh, but we're very aware of those passages and and handle them um, I would say delicately mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that they didn't happen right. it just means that they weren't in the oldest manuscripts that we have found so far that we have That's found so imp- far right? Yeah. Right. yeah um so so what do you do with that uh, I typically don't preach or teach a lot from the end of mark mm-hmm. um, the uh, from from that particular passage but um I, that's not something I'm going to fight over. Yeah, I'd say the authenticity of, of Bible translators to say, "Hey, look, here's the dilemma we know. Right. Yep. It was in a ton of manuscripts. It's not some of the oldest ones. Yep. We're not sure what to do with it. For us to throw it away would seem like dishonoring God. For us to just put it in and not say it would be dishonoring God. Yep. Yep. We'll put it in with a footnote. Yep. And yeah. here it is, very transparent. Man, what, only that's if all of our uh, leaders in every yeah. facet of life felt yep. the same way about. Yep. Yeah. Yep, and I think it's important. It, again, I listed a few passages here. If you look those up, if you were to remove those, it changes nothing. Theology doesn't right, change yeah, at all. Right, right. Jesus is still who he is. God is who he says he is. That story still plays out. Still one way God. to heaven, only yep. through Jesus. Exactly. That's yep. it. There's no other magical. Yep. Yep. That's yep. great. Good stuff. Okay, uh, this is what I want to end with. So now we we have our Bibles. We trust our Bibles. We've selected our translations. How do we read? the Bible. <laughs> do I have to start Tune in, Gen- in next week for the next podcast? Yeah. That's a- do I start in Genesis and work my way from Genesis to Revelation? Do I have to read it in order? Do I have to read the whole book of Numbers? Because that's a slog to get through sometimes. Do I jump around? What's the best way to read the Bible day to day, week to week, year to year? What does that look like? Jake? Yeah, I think I'm going to go back to what Chris said about being connected with community is incredibly important. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, when the church was founded, it was founded as the church to be able to go through this. When they read scripture uh, in the temple in the Old Testament, it was all communal. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very we are very individualistic as a society. Mm-hmm. Um, not every society is that way today and certainly not throughout history. Um, and there is strength in numbers. You know, um, you go further, faster with people in your life. Like we mm-hmm. truly believe that yep. and live that out. And so um, what I would say is if you want to if you're studying the Bible for the very first time, don't do it alone. Mm. Um, that would be a, a high, yeah. high priority to be able to say. Yeah. Um, I know tons of people that do, um, and then they come to me and they want to talk about this or that, and they're really just become to the point where they're nitpicking yep. little things on this or that, and they don't see the forest through the trees. And uh, so many times we need that yep. um, to be able to do so. Um, I don't think there's necessarily a wrong place to start in Scripture. Um, I think you have to understand context yep. um, is key. Context is king, right? Like if you go to Bible college, you're going to hear that a billion times. Context is king. So or Bible overview or oh, Bible matters. Yeah. What, 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 what are those, Chris? Foreshadows. How come you haven't mentioned that before? <laughs> I mean, what I'm, anticipa- I'm going to be really heartbroken if we don't have a massive turnout. <laughs> <to the next. laughs> 
Yeah. So I think like, once again, understanding the context, um, yep. when these were written, who was the original audience, who actually wrote that, um, and then it's going to be able to dig out because there's plenty of things that if we try to just say, oh, well, in today's society, this obviously would mean this. Yep. Well, yes, but it wasn't written to me specifically. Yeah, that I think what you're talking about is it's worth teaching people the $5 word mm-hmm. that we're dancing around, which is exegesis. Oh, which oh. exit Jesus? We exit Jesus exit, out of Scripture. What? Exit Jesus? Oh. <laughs> no, there's exegesis and eisegesis are the are the big academic terms that are thrown around that basically mean what you're talking about. So to exegete Scripture, to exegete God's word, is to understand the context, who it's written to, who wrote it, what's the what's the genre of writing that it's in. Like you would read the book of Psalms differently than you would read the book of Genesis, than you would read the book of First and Second Kings. Um, so understanding all that goes into it so that you can exegete to pull out the meaning of what's being written there as opposed to eisegesis, which is I bring my own ideas, my own interpretation to it, and I'm looking for things in the Bible that confirm that. Is that a fair definition? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I'm going to go back to the international... Children's version. Um, <laughs> a response to this question: When I'm talking to somebody about, and they're just getting started reading scripture, mm-hmm. um, I would say I typically say to people, you know, start with the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Start with the Book of Mark is the shortest one. Mm-hmm. It's the quickest read, and it will introduce you to Jesus. And it's written in a style that's very action oriented. Mm-hmm. So, like, and and you can actually, you can with Google Earth. You can track where Jesus went, which is really cool through, through the book of Mark. Uh, so I, I say uh, typically start there. Then I, I oftentimes will say, then go to the book of James. It's five chapters. You can read it in 20 or 30 minutes, and it's real-life stuff. Mm-hmm. God's given us instruction on how to live out a faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it talks about controlling your tongue. It talks about dealing with with problems and trials. It talks yeah. about um, just all kinds of really prejudice or really relevant stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I typically say, hey, um, maybe the next place to go is either to go back and read through all the Gospels or to read the book of Acts mm-hmm. because it is um, history and it tells you about the church in the first century. And again, it tells, it, it's very story, um, it, it's written in story form because it's history. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. And then I typically say, and if you're ready then for the big dive, go into the book of Romans because mm-hmm. Romans um, really paints a big picture of the importance of redemption. Mm-hmm. First eight chapters all set the stage of, of how messed up our world is. And it really leads to a place where Paul says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And then the last eight chapters are all then, okay, if Jesus really did come, if he really did save us, if we really can't be separated from the love of Christ, what's that look like for us? And the last last half really fleshes out. the uh, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And once you're once you're that far in, man, uh, I think that you'll have a you'll have such a taste and hunger that yeah. that then you can kind of go yeah. lots of different places. Yep. Yeah, and I think f- for me the thing I always try to keep in mind too is that you really as you're reading through the Bible, you can rely on the Holy Spirit too. Right. And have him direct, and sometimes it's going to be like, "Hey, I'm going to read the book of James," and sometimes it might be I've had the Holy Spirit just say like, "You know, there's something 
in First Corinthians that I want you to see. And you'll just go there, and man, it just like jumps off the page, and it's relevant for you. It's alive. It's active. It's convicting. It's it's perfect for the next conversation you're going to have with that person that you're dreading or whatever it might be. Um, and so, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in that and to guide you through that process, because I, I think it's in First Corinthians that says you can't even really understand what's written by God unless you have the Holy Spirit yes, guiding Spirit you. So, working, yep. so lead, letting the Holy Spirit lead that process, I think, is, is a huge, huge component of that, that I often, again, I'll speak for myself, I often neglect because it's just like, well, I have my Bible plan, and I have to work through whatever's in front of me right now, um, and that's to my detriment. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Is there anything with the Bible <laughs> that we've missed? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> it's impossible. It's a large I have topic. a thorough note document. <laughs> um, I, yeah, there is one last thing that I just want to add that that can kind of bring this around. And and we talk about it. We talk about it on Sunday morning messages periodically. Um, scripture is our standard. It's mm. it's um, our relationship with God is not um, determined what's right or wrong by how I feel. Mm. Or, mm-hmm. or by what anybody else says. Scripture scripture is God revealing himself to us. And so we say consistently, you know what? If you hear something that you disagree with on Sunday morning in a message, in, in, in a class or whatever, yeah. go to Scripture. Mm-hmm. And, and if we're wrong, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, uh, because we, we certainly are not infallible. As much as we're committed to studying, um, we we make mistakes and misunderstand and that kind of thing. Always go to Scripture. That's the source for how God will reveal Himself to us. Yeah. And um, and we want to make that as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. But don't hesitate to think, oh, Rick thinks this, therefore I think that. Don't go. Don't go there. Um, yeah. I, this is what Scripture says, mm-hmm. and so this is what I believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. love it. We uh, we live in an amazing time. In an amazing place, absolutely, where we have more translations in the Bible than have ever yeah. been, yep. and we have access to it for free, anywhere, anytime, with zero uh, repercussions for reading it. Right, right. Um, we have a God who not only is knowable, but wanted to reveal how we could know Him through written word, along with other things like the Holy Spirit, whatnot. Yep. And and as Americans, we're just so. I don't know how to fi- finish the sentence. Spoiled. Bad, lazy, oh. spoiled. Um, <laughs> we don't read. Yeah. yeah, we don't. We don't. Th- like God said, I, I want to know you, and this is this is a way. This is the primary way, the key way, the easiest way. Spend time in it, yeah. reading the Bible, uh, getting to know Him, His character, yep. and we're just we just don't. And that's just it's. I don't. I mean, I struggle. You know, I'm not. I'm just the three fingers at you, one at me kind of thing. Yep. But however that worked, I guess that's <laughs> not how people point. How are you pulling his right your hand? I don't know. I, got, <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> but yeah, um, would, but you hear my heart in that. Yeah, you know, like yeah. like yep. man, th- we live in a time where we can do that, and God wants us to. Yep. Yeah. So like, read your Bibles. Yeah. Like that's right. not just a religious well, thing. That's like yeah. that's everything. Was, it's life. I was thinking the same thing when you were talking, Jake. I was thinking like, man, what. Would it be beneficial if we had all of our individual copies of Scripture taken away mm. and we could only read in community? Like, how much more would you value God's Word mm. when it's when it's taken away from you and you can only access it? And uh, again, you think of countries where it sounds like a dangerous pre-Reformation <laughs> idea, Mark. <laughs> well, where it's <laughs> yes, you're welcome. I'm not good. But man, I, I think to your point, we get so. Spo- I have yeah. I have the Bible on my laptop, on my phone, on my iPad. I can get it on my TV. And I have twenty paper copies. In right. It. I yeah. have copies, printed copies of it. I can go to the library and get copies. It's everywhere around me, 
and we just don't read it yeah. because it's so accessible yeah. that we it's just cheap to us. It's mm-hmm. just uh, whatever. I was sitting on a train uh, a handful of years ago coming out of Poland. Uh, that sounds like a really cool beginning of a story. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. Uh, we had just spent 16 days talking with Poles about spiritual things, who, uh, the, at least the group we were with, uh, more ethnically Catholic. They don't necessarily show up to a church, but Scripture isn't a highlight for them. They just don't read it, but they have tons of spiritual questions. And I'm sitting on this uh, uh, train journaling my thoughts, and my thought that kept coming to me was that as Americans, we are, sp- we are religiously fat. Like we just have access to all of this that we just consume it, but we just we don't. We but I had spent time with people who were hungry spiritually and didn't really have yeah. food, yeah. Uh, yeah. and yet we have so much available to us that we just you know we're yeah. yeah. Anyways, sorry that was one of those bad stories, wasn't it? No, that was a great was story. story. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Riveting. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Good. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for your time. Thanks for uh, reliving my faith crisis <laughs> and reconfirming <laughs> nice. that we can trust the Bible. Uh, that Mark's going to need a nap now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nap and a hug. Oh, uh, but hopefully it was beneficial to you. Um, the same principle applies to this as with everything else we do. Feel free to continue the conversation, to approach any of us, to ask questions. You can use the app uh, and submit questions. This is something that we're obviously passionate about yeah. um, because it's so clear. Again, l- let the message, the resounding message be that God cares about his word, mm-hmm. that he has preserved his word, that he's shown us evidence of that throughout history, um, and that that should be a comfort to us and should propel us deeper into his word to know him, to see how he's revealed himself and how much he loves you and cares for you and wants you to know him. So, um, Just out of curiosity, if yeah. people want to dive into this more, are there any like classes? <laughs> We're thinking about starting think something called Bible Matters. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll probably start up in April, probably yeah. mid-April. Yeah, yeah okay. Hopefully you have the app or you get the get to the point yeah. or you show up on Sundays or either online or in person. Yeah. You'll hear about all these things. We also have it on the wall on wow. postcards. It's genius. <laughs> we should talk about that more often. Well, oh, thank okay. you for yeah. doing that before we close. That's all right. An excellent reminder. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for tuning in uh, for another long episode. We appreciate you. Uh, again, submit questions, keep the conversation going, and we'll see you the next time we do this. Mm-hmm.